to The Commercial Disco, the only show dedicated to exploring the great stories and people driving Australia's unique innovation and tech landscape. Now over to your host, James Riley. Today we're very pleased to have on The Commercial Disco Industry Minister Karen Andrews. Mrs Andrews, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Now, our discussion, I'm going to keep it fairly high level, I guess, mainly because there's a budget process, I assume, is going on furiously in the background. I guess there's a lot of balls in the air anyway. So feel free to get into the weeds as much as you like, but we're happy to to take it at a fairly high level. To start with, obviously, you've had a, a very busy pandemic, particularly in the manufacturing sector with the government's quite I would say, heroic early response in uh, ensuring PPE and respirators and those sorts of things were covered. What did you discover in that process about supply chains, about capability and about what we might need to look at in future? We discovered a number of things quite clearly. We also had a significant reinforcement of some of the views that had been held in some instances held for a very long time, particularly around the industry sectors. So whilst, um, quite frankly, a lot of work has been done, if I focus just in on the the tech sector, over the last 12 months in particular, there are a lot of things that we have learned that now enables us to cast another eye over the sector with the COVID lens. So some of the things that that we found that were particularly useful was the information sharing, in many cases the data sharing from some of the larger firms, which enabled us to put together some of the policies that we needed to during the, the height of the pandemic. And I guess one of the most significant examples of that was information data in relation to domestic violence searches. So that information was passed through to the government in terms of the escalation of the number of searches specifically on domestic violence. So that information fed through to us developing some additional measures to deal with the fact that there were people at home, there was no or limited opportunity for them to leave the house to go to work, for example, and that there had been also steady increases in the number of reported instances of domestic violence. So that was actually really good to get that information and to have that shared. And I think that's just one example. There are, of course, other examples as well of the data sharing and the information sharing. But what that's enabled to happen is a much closer relationship between the tech sector and government. And quite frankly, they've operated quite independently for some time. So I'm seeing that there's now a fundamental change in the relationship and that can only help the tech sector and the government as we continue to come out of the COVID-19 crisis. So we are re-looking at everything through the COVID lens, as I've described it before, there are some opportunities for us to work together. It comes off the back of a number of roundtables that I was holding last year and continue to hold as well to get the sector really working together. And if I could just continue on maybe just for another minute, look, no one expected that we would be in the position we are now several months ago. So the expectation was that we would probably hit the peak of the crisis in the middle of May because of a lot of work that's been done by many people 
most significantly by the Australian people, we've managed to seriously flatten that curve. And there are signs that we are coming out of it, not through the crisis yet, but we're coming out of it. Now, in my discussions with the Prime Minister in particular, I've been talking about this being an industry-led recovery, which it will be, but science and technology are the enablers of industry. So I see as we come through it, the important thing is to make sure that industry, well and truly supported by science and technology, is going to lead our economic recovery. So that's a really important thing as we go forward to understand really where the tech sector is now placed in Australia. Can I just, sorry, I'm going to back up just a little bit and clarify. When you talk about domestic violence searches, you're talking about Google searches for shelters or something, that kind of uh, Look, there was quite a range of searches that were being conducted. Overall, what it put together, and yes, it was primarily through Google, what it put together for us was an increased picture that domestic violence was a key issue and that it was escalating. So, yes, looking for shelters, looking for support, you know, what can you do, how can you handle it, what's your front line, and then your first line response to that. And if you are a victim of domestic violence, what are the things you could and should do? So all of yeah. that information came together to provide information to government on what it should be doing. It's a fascinating area, but, I mean, you'd have to say with, you know, without any commentary on uh, domestic violence data, it does kind of fundamentally change the relationship between a private sector organisation and the government, that kind of data sharing, and it's the sort of thing that does get the hair curling on the back of your neck a little bit and I guess will need to be the subject of great discussion in future. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, a part of that, and look, and the statistics from Google were significant because it was a 75% increase, and that's a significant increase in the, the number of, of searches. Now, I understand, and I'm not sure if this is where you were, were heading with this, I understand many people have concerns about data sharing in terms of what the extent of that data will be, what the privacy issues are going to be as part of that. And so, can I assure you that the data that we were using was very high level, certainly didn't indicate where all that data was being sourced from. So we relied on the information that was coming through to us from the... Uh, the, but the just, uh, just as a, uh, this is a matter of interest and, I, and I'll move on, but does the government have to pay for that data or is that an expression of goodwill by Google or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, companies well, providing it? Well, let me answer that generally rather than specifically. What we actually found during the COVID crisis is that the tech sector, as well as many other parts of industry, were very focused on what they could do to support Australia and to support Australians as they came through this crisis. So a lot of people actually put up their hands to help and to provide the information that was needed. Yes, there were some contracts that were put in place, and from a procurement point of view, we did start to use our procurement powers to support some of the manufactured goods that we needed here for medical purposes. But a lot of the advice and the information and the support that came through to the government was really offered as a way of helping Australia come through. And, the and it's been quite incredible, really. Like, as you say, I think I remember in, in the very early days and there were, I don't even know that they were dire predictions, they were more, you know, the consensus predictions were that this was going to carry on right into late May and, and be far more severe. So it really has been quite an incredible response. I do want to ask you, though, on procurement, I know in the manufacturing sector, those amazing pivots of companies that either, mm -hmm. you know, designed and started manufacturing ventilators or respirators mm -hmm. and then manufacture the PPE, quite extraordinary. But we know that government as a buyer of those goods and manufactured goods 
was pivotal in the ability to do that. In the information technology sector, there would be a similar reliance on government procurement as a lever that can be pulled to drive industry outcomes. Is there anything you can take from that experience in manufacturing and apply into the IT sector, whether it be for cloud services or data centres or whatever it is? Yes, absolutely. And I'm well and truly on the record as saying that, in my view, government should be using procurement as one of the levers that it can. And I know if we're talking about innovation, specifically if we're talking about the tech sector, there has been concerns that a lot of the development work that is done here has to go offshore or has to be proven offshore before it really gets a foot in the door in Australia, whether that's from government or whether it's other larger private providers. Now, clearly that has to change. So we actually do have a number of ministers that have involvement in the the tech sector. So Stuart Robert has responsibility really for the inward-facing parts of tech. So he looks at government purchasing for its internal services as well too. And so that's why he was responsible for the COVID Safe app because that was an internal government resource that was being used. I have uh, more of an outward-facing role in terms of engagement with the sector, the connections between tech and industry as well. So, yes, um, certainly I'll be talking to all of my colleagues and they're very much aware that my view is that we should be looking at using procurement levers. Now, we can use some of the learnings from the COVID crisis to say, well, how do we continue to support ourselves I think um, right at the beginning, you mentioned supply chains, and that's going to be really very critical. So I don't want to spend a lot of time really talking about PPE and manufactured goods, but it is actually quite important that we look at tech supporting the manufacturing industry so that we achieve the outcomes that we need and the greater productivity that we need from that sector. But what we did find, particularly with the manufactured goods, is that Even if we could manufacture some of those goods in Australia, the supply chains meant that it was very difficult for us to get the input supplies that we needed. So if you broaden that to other industry sectors, clearly the same problems are going to eventuate or be apparent there. So the tech sector is not any different at all in terms of supply chains to make sure that we are putting in place the supply chains that are needed and that will be part of the future work. Yeah, it's a difficult and complex area. Would you, just on your reading of your colleagues, think that you'll get a more sympathetic hearing to some of those views around the Cabinet table? Yes. So obviously we have also been at pains as a government to say that we are a trading nation. So we do rely on some imported goods and we certainly rely on selling our products internationally. And we have to. We are a country of about 25 million people. So if we are going to grow any of our sectors here in Australia, we have to reach outside of our borders to be able to do that. So if I put that then to the side, what we do have as a result of COVID is really a groundswell of support for Australian grown, Australian made, Australian produced goods. So whether you want to call it patriotism or not, I think that there's a lot of pride in Australia at the moment that we all should be taking advantage of. People are looking for Australian produced goods and they will look internally now because it has been a huge wake-up call 
to many businesses in particular where they had problems with their own supply chains and trying to get products and services into Australia. So I think this is an opportunity, it's a pivotal opportunity for us now. And it sort of leads us into the digital economy as a whole because now is the time of the digital economy. That's been demonstrated. And this is where we need to start kicking some pretty serious goals. Yeah, well, I hope some of the public servants have been listening to this podcast and start that uh, My Australia campaign also. I'll send it to them. (laughs) Yes, uh, very good. Look, I'm going to move on to science, a little bit conscious of time. There's a lot of goodwill towards science. I mean, it's not necessarily a Team Australia thing, but certainly I think we had a payoff during this crisis of decades of investment uh, resulted in the fact that the broader public had trust in the science and uh, therefore Mm -hmm. listening to the institutions. Okay, so Larry Marshall was telling us last week that he wishes he could bottle that goodwill and carry it forward into the good times when people forget and get back to their lives. I suppose my question now, given that universities under a lot of pressure, there's competing priorities at the federal level in terms of the budget, how do we ensure that our researchers are able to continue their great work in the broadest range of areas that they uh, they Mm -hmm. pursue? Look, research is going to be very important to us. Research development, scientific research, all of that is going to be really important. I'm also on the record of saying that we can't continue to try and be all things to all people. We have to play to our strengths. Now, from a science point of view, yes, we will always support all sciences because um, I'm very much aware that uh, significant outcomes can come through blue sky research where it's not clear from the beginning what the outcomes may or may not be, but things can be discovered along the way. That is obviously a very important role for blue sky of science. So no one should be concerned about me saying we need to play to our strengths because all science is important. But we do know that there are some things that we do well in Australia, that there are some industry sectors that we do particularly well in. What is going to be important is that we align a lot of the funding work that we are doing now so that we are maximising the outcomes because we do have a lot of funding programs, particularly in my portfolio, that cover a range of different areas. I think it's important for us to look at strategically what we can do, how we can harness not only that funding but all of the expertise in there to lead us down the recovery path. Yeah, it's not straightforward though, is it, getting that kind of alignment? And I know that a little bit of a a running saw in your government has been around the R&D tax incentive and and really philosophically the difference between undirected government support and directed government support. And I think the push now, certainly from parts of the innovation ecosystem, is more towards directed grants. So how do you get that balance right? And are you expecting in the recovery period to actually increase the number of grants to those kind of strategic areas of interest? I think the first step is realignment of what we already have into what priorities are and potentially where the national priorities are going to be. So that's going to be the first step of that And there's a number of industry sectors that are emerging where we are already doing some great work. Space is one I know that I talk about quite a lot, but space has an enormous reach already. The roadmaps are already done as to how we're going to triple the size of that sector. There are other industry sectors as well that we are, are working on. Manufacturing is going to be one of our focuses going forward. 
clearly. And that's where technology is really going to come into its own in supporting manufacturing. So we did announce during the election that we would establish the Manufacturing Modernisation Fund. So the first round of that has now been announced. And we do have a lot of support going out to many manufacturers across Australia. They're at 200 projects, so it's all up to about $215 million that is being put through to support manufacturers, of which the federal government is only supporting uh, just under $50 million worth in there. And I know that there's people out there that criticise that, but quite frankly, what this has demonstrated is that Australian industry, Australian manufacturers are prepared to back themselves as well. So one of the things, and I'll I'll, um, I'll talk very briefly about a conversation I had with um, some venture capitalists a number of months ago now, and they talked very clearly about um, some of the issues that they had with the funding programs that sit in my portfolio. What they indicated was that effectively when businesses apply for funding, they are asked in many different forms, whether or not they can secure funding from somewhere else. And often the government, and not just this government, but governments for many years, have supported those that are unable to secure funding from other sources. Now, sometimes that's desperately needed to get something off the ground. But what the venture capitalists were saying to me is that, you know, yes, there is money around, but what they want to do is be able to support businesses as they continue to develop. And often what was happening with the government grant is that there was some initial funding, but there was no one who was prepared to come in beyond that to back the business. Now, I think what we have to do from a funding point of view is look at what the funding pipeline is going to look at. So how do we actually bring in all the financing that's um, going to be needed to support particular industry sectors and then break that down into who the recipients should be. But it was a very valuable conversation because, you know, they're right. We actually need to make sure that we are lining up and setting up what the pipeline should be so that businesses can grow, just not get that initial start and then allow them to grow. Yeah. It's a, uh, it is a, a very uh, tricky and vexing issue because on, on the other hand, you could be saying that you're sort of underwriting VCs that perhaps don't need underwriting. I guess it's where yeah. you draw that line in, in selecting the yeah. companies that you, uh, yeah. you put in. And I can assure you I have no plans to underwrite VCs. So I'm more interested in not just providing some funding that is not going to reach its full potential because there is no other source of finance that will be available. So that's where I think it's important and the comments came from the VCs. Just in terms of the budget process, you have obviously the federal budget will be announced in uh, October. So this kind of realignment that you're talking about will come to be known as part of that budget process and announcement or is this a you know this will evolve over the next couple of years like what what are we talking about i think we need to put things into a bit of perspective which is as we come through the covid crisis it is probably going to take us three to five maybe three to seven years for us to to recover from the shocks that we've experienced and australia is not going to look as it was six months ago and I actually don't want Australia to look as it was six months ago because I think it is an opportunity for us to reshape Australia and the Australian way of life and look at new opportunities. So it's going to be fundamentally very different. Many of these funding programs that exist across all of government have been in place for a number of years. 
So I don't think we should be trapped into a knee-jerk reaction to make changes that are going to be potentially flawed because they have been developed in haste. Now, I've been having these discussions for some time. Again, I'm casting the COVID lens over it. I will do what I can in a measured and sensible way. I'm looking at a 10-year horizon at the moment, but I'm breaking that down into 12-month, two-year and five-year plans. My focus is on making sure that we've got the 10-year plan pretty much right and ready to go and then look at what we can do over the next 12 months that will feed in to the longer-term plan so that we don't do anything in isolation. I will do what I can in time for the budget, but understanding that comes down in October and the timeframes are incredibly short to do that. And I want to be measured, I want to be sensible, I want to bring the industry with me. And that's a very important part. Okay, so I don't want to press you on this too hard, but you expect more money in the budget for those grants programs? I'm thinking like an accelerated, accelerating commercialisation program or the grants programs that exist, an acceleration of them. Look, I think there's always a risk that what people do is focus on what's the dollar amount and it's forgotten five minutes after it's been announced. I'm more interested in how we're going to do things, how we're going to deliver an an outcome. I will obviously always use what levers are available to me to do that. But I think that we need to move away from saying, oh, there was a million dollars for this, $10 million for that. Well, that's actually not delivering an outcome. That's just giving a dollar figure. So let's actually start looking at how we're going to achieve what's needed to be done in Australia, bring everyone with us, get us a consolidated plan, and, of course, money will be part of that. But there is a lot of money already sitting in portfolios, and we know from the Manufacturing Modernisation Fund that many businesses are keen to work with government but dig into their own pockets to support Minister uh, Karen Andrews, uh, conscious of time, I've got one more question but I wanted to thank you very much for coming on. My final question is this. I just kind of wanted to get a sense of your day-to-day. Obviously, your own work practices have changed, I would think, quite massively like everyone else's. So from a, uh, a minister's point of view, someone who runs an office, someone who deals with colleagues and deals with industry and all the rest of it, what changes in the way you've worked in the last few months will you keep and what are you going to throw away? Like, What are the, the kind of immediate learnings for you in relation to your own work life? Oh, look, the immediate learning is that we all need to be using the technology that is already available to us on a daily basis. So I think that whilst it's very easy to jump on a plane and have a face-to-face meeting, it's actually very efficient to have meetings either by VC preferably or by phone. What I've noticed is they tend to start on time, they finish on time. They're very structured. You can fit a lot more into a day when you're not physically travelling somewhere. What I think we need to work on is the personal interaction because if you've got everyone on a VC and isolated, they don't pick up the incidental information that they need, whether that's in a car park or in a tea room. And it's the personal interaction that we've just got to try and finesse so that we get that a bit better. All right, Karen Andrews, thank you very much for joining us on the Commercial Disco today. And uh, I'm sure we will talk again in future. It's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Commercial Disco. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And head on over to our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our latest news and reviews focused on tech, innovation and policy. 
and reach out on our social media to ask any questions or be a guest on the show. Until the next time, this is the Commercial Disco, wishing you a great week ahead.